0: I've had on my mind this week, even as we were looking at this text, of the the second part of Genesis chapter 21, I've had in my mind this theme of endings. And one of the reasons it's on my mind is because I'm very cognizant of the fact that we're in the middle of a season ending called summer and a new season beginning. Now, it's not really fall yet, but school year. And in my house, that's a big transition. We had some grieving to do this last week as school started for the first week and the alarm clocks were set really early. Like what is the deal with these schools by the way starting so early but we're getting used to the newness of a new season and a, a summertime that has been very busy yet very sweet is coming to an end. Endings are a part of our lives. I made a list this week of some things that just regularly end that I'm conscious of. Seasons end, days end, vacations end, careers end, meals end, movies end, school years end, work weeks end, and good news for some of you, even sermons end eventually. Now, some endings are welcome. Maybe it's a hard day and you get to the end of the day and your head hits the pillow. You're just like, God, thank you that this day is ending. Uh, I remember for me, one of the endings that I celebrated was actually what well, was a rich season of my life, but it was a long season of my life. It took me 10 years to get through seminary. I was working full-time. I had a family. I was going to school. It was a rich but very difficult season. I walked across that stage to get my diploma, and I was praising God for the ending of a season. So sometimes endings are welcome, but more often than not, we fight endings. We fight them. We don't like them, particularly if there's something in our lives that we love that we're having a hard time letting go of. We don't want it to end. Have you ever read a book that you didn't want the last page to come or maybe a a movie that you loved. I kind of felt that way about the the three movies in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I enjoyed them so much, and I got to that last movie, and, you know, Peter Jackson was great because he didn't let it end easily, did it? You know, you remember? It's got four endings. It's like this scene and that scene, and the ending just drags on. We don't want it to end. We don't like to let go of things that we see in our lives as good or enjoyable, and I want to take you even a little bit deeper. Most of our grief is connected to endings, isn't it? The death of a loved one, perhaps. Maybe the loss of a relationship. Maybe a season of life that's coming to an end for you. Maybe your time in a particular place has come to an end and you're moving to another, perhaps a stage of life for your kids. Is ending, and you're grieving through that. Maybe your ending that you're struggling through or have struggled through is the death of a dream. Dreams end sometimes. And here's the paradox. We often fight endings, yet at the same time, they're some of the most important and even necessary times of our lives. And I want you to sort of think about the passage that we're about to read in the context of necessary endings. That's a phrase that we have borrowed from Henry Cloud. He wrote a book by that name, which is very helpful if you're going through a, some kind of necessary ending right now. Abraham has reached such a moment in our text this morning, a necessary ending. And I want you to see it. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to be jumping in in a minute in verse 9. And we'll go 9 through 21. But here's what I want to say. If you think about Scripture as a whole, from Genesis to Revelation, what you will often find, if you read it with this lens, is God does some of his best redemptive work through necessary endings. It's all throughout the Bible. And this is a case here of a necessary ending for Abraham. Now I want to give you some context before we jump in at verse nine. Two things that I, that you need to know contextually. One is I need to recap a story from chapter sixteen. Here's the story from chapter sixteen. Abraham and Sarah had been promised a son, and they'd been promised that through that son. They'd be made into a great nation and here they were sitting and and, uh, Sarah was past the natural age of childbearing and they had no son. So Sarah came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 16 and she said, God has not allowed me to have children. So I'm going to give you my maid, Hagar, and I want you to be with Hagar, and I want you to have a child, an heir through Hagar, so that we can have an heir, Abraham. And of course, Abraham listened to Sarah, and that's exactly what happened. And Hagar became pregnant, and then things got bad. Right? Hagar started having a little bit of an attitude and she started talking back to, to her, her mistress or her boss that she was serving, Sarah. And Sarah got so angry, she came to Abraham and Abraham said, hey, she's your servant. Do whatever you think is right. And so Sarah mistreated Hagar so harshly that Hagar fled out into the wilderness and would have died except that God intervened. And God saved Hagar and ensured her that this baby that was growing inside of her was a boy and it would be named Ishmael, which means God hears. And then he sent Hagar back to Sarah to submit to the leadership of Abraham and Sarah and await for the birth of this son. And Ishmael was born. And it is now 15 years later in our story this morning. Ishmael is a teenager. And guess what happened? Miracle occurred. And Sarah conceived, and she bore a son, Isaac. And last week, we talked about the party. We talked about the celebration. And then we literally had the party. And like we said last week, all good things come to an end. The story gets very difficult and very hard right here in verse 9. And this is where I want us to pick it up. So read along with me as I read 21, verse 9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking Mocking. The uh, word in English that's translated in the NASB as now is the Hebrew vav. It's actually just a letter. It's just a, a, a vertical stroke of the pen. And it's translated different ways depending on the context. It is the word of transition. You know, it's that conjunction that often represents a contrast or something new is happening. And here, most translations translate it in this particular context as But right, so party is happening in verse 8, celebration, everything is happy. But isn't that true in, in our lives that things end sometimes with such a small thing? A phone call, a conversation, something's going well in your life, and it doesn't take much for that to turn, for that to change. One single Hebrew letter signals the transition from celebration at Isaac's birth to a very difficult, hard stage in Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael's lives. I want to also uh, point out as we go through this that the teenager, Ishmael, is acting like A teenager, if I could say it that way. Anybody ever heard a teenager mock something? It's like hang around them enough, you're going to hear something get mocked. You're going to hear something made fun of in a way. The word translated mock is the same word that we talked about last week, representing Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. Same root in the Hebrew for mocking. You see how this teenager, Ishmael, has twisted this good and holy gift of laughter and is now a mocking. And Sarah hears this. Sarah sees this and she sees something that she doesn't like. She gets protective of her son. Let's continue the text to hear what Sarah does. Verse 10. Therefore, Sarah said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Now here's the situation. Who was the heir before Isaac was born? Ishmael was the heir. And honestly, no one believed it was ever going to be any different. Not even Abraham and Sarah until literally she conceived. So, all this time, up through most of Ishmael's life, he was the presumed heir. No one believed that Sarah was ever going to conceive. And now all of a sudden there's a change. There's an ending for Ishmael. There's an ending even for Hagar. And Sarah wants to make sure it's clear that God's intention and God's plan is for Isaac to be the heir, not for Ishmael. Now the problem is that there's some bitterness and jealousy that I think begins to come out in her heart. I would say it this way. Sarah's motivations were externally Externally, protecting her son from persecution and ensuring that he is the rightful heir. But internally, internally, I think there's some jealousy and unrest happening in Sarah's heart. She says, drive them out. Go back to chapter 16, verse 6. The text reads, So Sarai treated Hagar harshly, and she fled from her presence. That was the first time. And now Hagar comes to Abraham again, asking Abraham to drive her out this time. Now, the irony here is whose idea was it? Like Ishmael was Sarah's idea in the first place. How quickly things have changed. Well, there is so much here that is unhealthy and ugly, I believe, in in Sarah's response to this. But here's what's surprising. God is at work. Even through this ugliness, God is at work. I want you to see that in the verses that follow. Pick it up in verse 11. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. Look at the word distressed. It's a very strong word in Hebrew. It carries with it the idea of evil, of something that is wrong. It's not just sort of sadness and angst. It's almost like a righteous, like justice. There's something wrong here. Abram picks up on it. In other words, he's closest to Sarah of any other person. And he's sensing and realizing the bitterness in her heart. And he is distressed. He's calling it out. I want you to contrast this with Abraham's response in Genesis 16 when he passively tells his wife, do whatever seems right to you. Here, I believe Abraham is standing up and saying, this is wrong. We cannot cast them out. And then to Abraham's surprise and the reader's surprise as well, God says he has a plan for this situation. This was, in other words, a necessary ending. God was at work here, and he assures Abraham that this indeed is his good plan. And good not just for Isaac, good for Ishmael, good for Hagar, good for Abraham. We'll see that unfold as the story continues. Let's look at verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. If you have a pen or pencil handy and you're one of those that likes to write in your Bible, which is a great practice, by the way, underline this phrase, Abraham rose early in the morning. And then in the margin, write out Genesis 22, verse 3. You will see that exact same phrase appear again there. Abraham rose early in the morning. Do you know what the context is of Genesis 22? God has asked him to sacrifice his other son, Isaac. And both times, Abraham rose early in the morning to obey God. You see the parallel going on here? What I believe is happening is God is preparing Abraham for what he'll have to do in the next chapter by going ahead and feeling uh, like he could trust God enough, believing he could trust God enough to open up his hands with Ishmael, who's also his son. Have you ever thought about the fact that God asked Abraham to entrust both of his children, both of his sons, into God's hands in a rather radical and remarkable way. Well, the bread and water that Abraham gave to Hagar would have been just enough to kind of get their journey started. There's no way that Abraham could have believed it was going to be sufficient to provide for them long term. Essentially, what Abraham is doing is he's telling Hagar and Ishmael I am entrusting you into the provision and care of the God who has made a promise. God's promise is he will provide. He has a plan for you, Ishmael. It's as if Abraham is saying, look, this water's going to run out. The bread's going to run out. I know it will. It's dangerous out there. I know it too. But I'm trusting God with your care. Parents, How hard is that to do? This is a remarkable step of faith for Abraham, this man who is increasingly learning to trust God, and he is going to have to trust God even more before the story is all over. Verses 15 and 16. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away that would have been 40 or 50 yards for she said, do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. This has got to be one of the most heart-wrenching scenes that I can think of in the scripture. This is an ending in Hagar's mind, the ultimate ending, and it's happening to her son. Like He's literally dying. He probably has hours, maybe a day left to live, and Hagar knows this, so she separates herself because she can't bear to watch. This is terrible, agony, gut-wrenching, filled scene. But notice what she does. She, lifted, she lifts up her voice. Have you ever thought about that expression while we say you lift up your voice? And Part of it has to do with volume, right? This is lifting up your voice, and this is lowering your voice. Volume and pitch, but a lot of it has to do to where you direct your cry. Upward. Upward. And if you trace this idea throughout Scripture, you'll see when someone lifts up their voice, God hears ishmael god hears let's see what happens verse 17 god heard the lad crying and the angel of god called to hagar from heaven and said to her what is the matter with you hagar do not fear for god has heard the voice of the lad where he is multiple times Ishmael Ishmael God heard you see Hagar knew this like she she says that every day like she's calling to her son every time she called to her son to pitch you know fetch the water or you know stop picking on his half brother whatever it was she's saying God hears like God hears come here like, God hears, you know, stop picking your nose. God hears, do this. Like, she reminded herself of that, but it just it just became sort of an exterior habit. It just became this shell. That's just his name. It's not really real, is it? Wordplay in this verse is, is wonderful. God heard him crying. And notice who he hears crying, not just Hagar. Uh, he hears Hagar. He addresses Hagar, but he also heard Ishmael. God hears. And then in verses 18 through 19, God continues this conversation with Hagar. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. By the way, I never realized that the NASB was an Irish translation. All this lad, you know, lad. So that was a joke, by the way. So the, the, the lad is saved. The boy is saved. The son is saved. This is one of those hallelujah, hosanna moments. That, that moment in your life where you're just like, there's no way that God can redeem this situation. And then out of nowhere, he shows up. I love the phrase, God opened her eyes. You see, the well was close. She just couldn't see it. Salvation was near, but her eyes had to be opened. And God opens her eyes and he saves Ishmael and he reminds them both that the promise is true. And then the text finishes with a, a little bit of a postscript about Ishmael's life, although there's so much more we could talk about it, what happens with Ishmael and his descendants. We don't have time for that this morning, but look at verses 20, 21. God was with the lad and he grew and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Hagar, of course, was Egyptian, so she goes back to her culture, her homeland, to find a wife for Ishmael. The phrase that stands out to me in these verses is the first few words of verse 20, God was with. You see, Abraham couldn't be with Ishmael anymore, so God was with him. What a good trade for Ishmael. This is a good trade ending. God is with him to fulfill the promise that he made to make him a great nation. Now this is an emotionally terrible part of the story that has good ending. Isn't that how we like our stories? And the stories don't always go this way. This story, as hard and terrible and gut-wrenching as it is for all the parties involved, has a good ending. You can even reach back to the wrongdoing that Abraham and Sarah did in chapter 16, the first time when they forced Hagar against her will, I believe, to have this child and then all the persecution she's endured. This is God redeeming this story. And the text isn't explicit here, but I think we can be confident in believing that Hagar lived out the rest of her days, knowing that God was going to keep his promise to her son Ishmael. And Ishmael grew up and had children. And Hagar would have passed away at some point in time with her son providing for her, knowing that God is faithful. He is faithful. A happy ending. Well, I want to pull out Three lessons for us, and I, I want to spend more time than we might normally on the, the lesson part of this, or the so what part of this, or the application part of this, and I want to tell you why. As I've been studying this text, and, and there's so much more theologically that I wish we had a time to get into, uh, Paul's going to use this story in a remarkable way in Galatians. We may touch on that next week. But I had to sit with my own struggles and my own fears around this idea of necessary endings. And the more I thought and prayed about this message, the more I thought, you know what? I think this is where we need to go. We need to talk about endings because this is a theme that we all resonate with. So there are three lessons that I want to talk about from the text as they relate to endings, particularly necessary endings, and we'll begin to apply this story to to real life, so to speak. The The first lesson is this. Endings almost never happen the way we would plan them. Almost never. Abraham didn't want the story to end this way. I know. Like, he was distressed. It seemed evil to him that this would happen. This is not the way that Abraham scripted it. I was thinking about this idea of of endings almost never happen the way we plan on them happening. And I started thinking about 32 NFL football teams that are all having great expectations, great plans. How many of their seasons are going to end the way that they're planning for them to end right now? One. One out of 32 is going to have the ending that they would script if they could. I thought, you know, that's about right for me. The endings in my life, one out of 32 or so, right? Endings almost never go the way that we planned for them to go. This didn't go the way Abraham would have written it. This didn't go the the way that Abraham wanted it to go. Maybe that's okay. Maybe it's even good. You see, I imagine this conversation when God says this to Abraham. God says, listen to Sarah because this is my plan. And and Abraham probably wants to push back. "Are, Are you serious? How could this be good? And God says, it doesn't seem good to you, but trust me, trust me. Think about the way we live our lives, right? We insulate ourselves from bad endings. This is what we do. This is why we have money in savings accounts. This is why we're sometimes overly protective of our kids. This is why we do everything we possibly can in our power to stay in control. Now, I'm not saying all those things are bad. Don't don't go to that conclusion. What I am saying, though, is... Do you really think you can control the endings that matter most? Do you really think you have that kind of power? Do you really want that kind of power? Endings are some of the only things in our modern lives that we feel completely out of control over. They force us to trust Right? I've heard Michael say this multiple times lately. When things are going well in my life, I don't need God. Necessary endings force me to need God. When things don't work out the way that I had planned, when God steers the ship in a different direction than what I would have scripted, I all of a sudden need God. Where do my cries go? They go upward. Is that a good thing? You better believe it. That's a good thing. It's a great thing. I want you to see what happens when we begin to trust God with a necessary ending. You see this all throughout this passage. Here's what God does. He shows up and he goes to work. Look at the verbs where God is at work. Verse 12. Circle these if you've got your pen or pencil handy. The Two words in verse 12. God said. Make note of those words. Look at verse 17. God heard. Mark that as well. God said, verse 12. God heard, verse 17. Verse 19, God opened her eyes. God said, God heard, God opened her eyes. And verse 20, God was with. Now you see him at work? He is moving. He is on the move through this ending in a way that would not have been possible if Abraham would have said, no, I will not allow it to end this way. I am holding on. It would have been about Abraham and not about God. You see, God is at work. Now, who is in control in this story? God is. The question is, can Abraham trust him? Now, you and I easily Sunday school answer, absolutely. But what about you? What about your endings? Do you think you can trust God? Like, like really? Really? What kind of ending are you grieving through right now? Or or what kind of ending are you fearful of? Would you allow God to use that ending to build faith, to build trust? This is hard. Lesson number two, for something new to begin, something almost always has to end. I'm sure Abraham thought there's no reason why my two sons can't live together with me under my protection and peace. God wanted a new thing. God wanted a separate nation. See, if Ishmael stays with Abraham, there's no separate nation. Now you can trace what happened with that nation, all the tension and the conflict that it's caused, and you can say, ay, 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 how could this be God's plan? Go back to the lesson. Right. Does God know what he's doing? God knows what he's doing. He is sovereign. And in this case, he says something has to end. This, this clan of, of Abraham is going to end at least the way that it exists right here so that I will do something new with you, Abraham, and I'm going to do something new with Ishmael as well. Now, here's what's so tricky. Oftentimes, the thing that needs to end is a good thing, right? Sometimes a good thing needs to end so that a better thing can begin. The best thing can begin. There's something, for many of you in the room, there's something that God may need you or ask you to let go of, to allow it to end so that he can do a new work. Now, the hard part is knowing. Is this true for me? Is God asking me to let go of this thing, whatever this thing is? Isn't that where the tension is, really? Like, how do I know? How do I know? Well, here's what I would say. Do what Abraham did. Go to God in your distress. And just be patient. I believe he will tell you. I believe he will show you. May not be in the first prayer. May not be on the 148th prayer. But God hears Ishmael. God will make it clear. If he desires for something to end so a new thing can begin, over time he will begin to make it clear. I'd say just start talking to him about it if you haven't already Go to him with your distress, your tension, your weeping, your tears, even your anger. Take it to him. So lesson two, for something new to begin, something else almost always has to end, and then one more lesson I want to save some time for. You don't need to fear endings. You don't need to be afraid. By the way, did you know, what the most often repeated command in scripture is do not fear do not fear rob how is it possible for me not to fear like some of you identify with Hagar sitting across from her son, where there's a situation in your life that's literally disintegrating in front of your eyes. Rob, how can I not fear? Are you kidding me? I care. This person, the situation, they're part of my heart. I want you to follow this logic out with me for a minute. What is the ultimate ending for all of us? for humanity in general? What's the scariest, hardest, ultimate ending? Is it not death? We weren't made for that ending. Like, mankind knows that right? That's that's why people fight getting older. You know, that's why the, the, the legends about the fountain of youth, like no one wants to die. There's something in us that knows we were not made for this ending. I would say, theologically speaking, you could make a strong case that we weren't made for endings at all. In fact, if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, what you see is you see endings are an allowed, yes, but temporary interruption in God's overall scheme, God's plan. You weren't made for death. You weren't made for endings at all. And so because of that, Jesus entered into our world of endings and he came in and he started experiencing them firsthand. Right? So he lost relationships and he lost loved ones. And He lost everything that makes what you and I would say makes for a good life. He didn't have money. By the end of it, he was abandoned, stripped naked, no friends. They'd abandoned him. It was just him and his father on the cross. And then he entered into the ultimate ending, death. Why did he do that? So something new could be birthed inside of you so that you wouldn't have to fear endings anymore. It's like he went straight into the jaws of the ultimate ending and he killed it. He defeated it. And he came out and he said, do not fear. In fact, I want to read to you some of the last words he said to his disciples before he died, like the night that he was going to be arrested. He said this, in this world, you will have trouble, right? That's a promise. You will have trouble, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. What endings are you afraid of? Take heart. He has overcome them. These endings that you fear are the endings that will build your faith and build your trust and build your relationship with this providential, caring God until Jesus returns to make all things new. And then we will live in a place where there are no more endings. Like That's the story. Now, we're in the middle of it. We're in the hard part of it. We're in the ending part of it. And we grieve and we weep. And those are good things. I'm not saying just walk around with this giddy smile on your face and not feel any pain. No. God brings these things into our life so that he can accomplish his purposes. Just as he did with Abraham. And Abraham's not done with it yet. Right, next chapter. Next chapter, Abraham's going to face his greatest fear but he's going to be able to do it in faith largely because of this necessary ending that God gave to him, invited him to walk in. And some of you this morning are walking through necessary endings right now, maybe in the recent past, maybe in the distant past. Maybe they're endings that haven't happened yet. They may never happen, but you're afraid of them. You're driven by fear of losing this whatever it is. I want to close the service this morning by inviting us to pray. And we're going to do something a little bit different than we normally do. We're going to have an extended time of prayer, maybe three or four or five minutes. And and I don't want to do all the praying for you. I, I want you to pray, but I want to guide you through a prayer. I want to guide you through a prayer about endings. And this is how we're going to close our service. Go ahead and bow your heads. What I'll do is I will invite you to think through certain areas of your life and the endings that God is bringing you through or has maybe brought about in your heart, in your life, the endings that you may be afraid of, perhaps. And I'm going to ask you just to talk to God about them. We're going to allow some space. There'll be some silence during this time. Silence sometimes makes us uncomfortable. Silence sometimes goes by slowly. Maybe for some of you in the room, it's been a long time since you've just sat in some silence and talked to God. Maybe you haven't been praying much other than a cursory prayer here or there before a meal or when something is urgent in your life. I want to invite us all just to really talk to God just for a few minutes. And the way I'd like you to begin is I'd invite you just to recognize God's presence with you if you have at any point in your life put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation you have the Holy Spirit God's Spirit God's presence himself with you in you even and sometimes we forget that so I want you right now just to remember it and just spend a moment or two consciously aware of God with you as you pray And now, as you continue to pray, I want to invite you to talk to God about the endings in your life. What endings are you grieving over? Maybe you're in them right now. Maybe they're from the past. You've lost something. Something has ended. Something didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. Could you tell God right now, This is hard. Could you tell them that you hurt? Can you acknowledge that he bears that grief with you? Would you ask him for his comfort? And now could you ask God to build your trust, to build your faith in him, that that he is with you, that, that his plan is good, that the endings that he has allowed in your life have not gone unnoticed, that he's still sovereign, that he's still at work? I would also invite you to look ahead at the endings that you may have some fear over. Endings that may be coming or or will eventually definitely be coming or perhaps you're not sure, but you're afraid. Can you first of all just acknowledge those fears? Just talk to God about them. Say, I am afraid. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I am. This is where I'm at. Could you say that right now? And as you acknowledge your fears, would you ask him to give you faith? Would you ask him to help you believe that his plan, no matter what, is good, no matter what happens? It's good. He's good. Some of you can't say that yet. You can't say, God, your plan is good no matter what. Would you ask God for the faith to believe that, the faith to get there, to trust him that much? I want to encourage you to ask God for one more thing. I want to encourage you to ask him for just a glimpse of his love and care for you. He cares. He loves you. He hears. He hears you even now. I want to close this prayer time by asking you to thank him for seeing, for hearing, for caring. Thank him for Jesus thank Jesus for enduring all the endings that he went through in his life all the way up to that ultimate ending thank him for securing a future for you without endings would you just spend a moment or two in gratitude and thanksgiving for that Father, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you open up our eyes so that we can see salvation at hand. Would you remind us that you are good regardless of circumstances? Would you use not just the hard times in our lives, but the good times in our lives to remind us of those? Would, would, Would we carry the sweet and the bitter intention, both pointing to you, both reminding us that you are sovereign and you are good? May we look to your word, the scriptures, to see example after example after example of your faithfulness. And may that study grow in us a heart of faith to believe And I pray for this body, men and women who are all across the board right now in their walk with you, men and women who are all struggling either right now through endings or they have in the past or they will in the future, every single one of us. And God, as we walk through these necessary endings, would you point us to your son, Jesus Christ, that we may walk in faith. May you not just make it easy on us, but may you do your highest work, your best work in us through these hard things. And may we have the faith to say thank you for them. praise you for them. God, that takes a work of your spirit in us, which you have given us. So I pray for that, Father. I confidently ask for that, for this body. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Invite you to stand for a benediction. I've chosen these words from Peter that he wrote to a church, 2 Peter 3:18. I'm going to apply these words to us this morning, men and women of Fellowship Bible Church. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because to him is the glory both now and to the day of eternity. No more endings. Eternity, forever and ever. Amen.